There we go. Bow, dow, 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 dow. Hey, welcome back to uh, the Ring of Fire. I'm Emmy, also known as uh, Birth Wizard. I'm Alex Barr. And uh, we're here to remind you to breathe. We're all about talking about those uncomfortable surges and to get you to open up about tough topics. So this week, guys, uh, welcome back to another meme reacts and how we're busy at a birth uh, because we're busy dual ladies doing busy dual lady things. Once again, we are speaking to you from the past. <laughs> the very past of uh, at some point in the past. I'm not even going to reveal it because I think it's more fun that you guys have no idea when we even recorded this. <laughs> but if you guys have heard, uh, maybe not, maybe we'll play this one first, but uh, we've recorded a couple of these. So this time we're going to react to memes that Alex has brought to us uh, within the vein of pregnancy or birth or doing or like you know that uh genre of memory is that a word Mem- memory the study of memes i don't know <laughs> it should be at this point i don't know it's really simple I don't, uh, I, don't, miss- I don't know if i know what a meme is at this point i don't know right i really no <laughs> this is again showing how old i am but i just like i thought memes were like the where it's like the the dog's face and then there's like the sunburst doge yeah like that set up for like literally everything but now i feel like everything's a meme so hopefully i picked actual memes i don't know nice um so just like some education for y'all it means which is imitated it's a joke that's imitated so you take a premise of an original joke and then everyone imitates it into their own flavor. That's a got it. Got it. So that's why things I think like that, but I still think we got some stuff to talk about. That's okay. Next time I will find actual memes. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna rename this real quick to Emmy Alex Black. sharing shareable it's, moments it's from the internet. <laughs> all right let me screen share all right are you ready for number one mm-hmm. this is it let's see inductions are not about safety oh uh, no i skipped to the, a different one okay um i went more of the route like let's find the things that kind of make you angry on, on the internet um, because that's how I feel about this, these things is I feel like so much stuff is shared and so much stuff is shared in like these tiny little ways that are either false or they're invalidating or there's not enough nuance or not enough conversation um, so this post says inductions are not about safety. And the caption says induction isn't to save you, it's to fit you in the parameters of resourcing and convenience of the business that's profiting from you. And in parentheses, it says hospital. You and your baby will then often need to be, quote, saved from the adverse consequences of induction with surgery. Hashtag all about the bottom line. Yikes. 
it's bad. I think it's like really bad. <laughs> um, did you I, read the second half of that of that caption by chance? No, but I can. Let's see. Um, I just want you to read the part about surgery. Okay. I'll finish reading the caption. It says, and I'm not suggesting that more surgery is required in lieu of inductions because it's all smoke and mirrors. All the quote, risky things you might be told, big baby, small baby, low fluid, high fluid, aging placenta, gestational bite, diabetes. The list is endless beyond this. That necessitate intervention. Also don't need intervention. Mm-hmm. I don't even think that makes sense. So essentially they're stating all of these things that need intervention don't necessarily need it, but has no sources stated or anything. So um, literally no sources. And this is the thing that upsets me so much about the Instagram birth community is. Ooh, we're, I, I like ooh. that you made it so particular. Yes. Oh, it drives me nuts. It, it literally drives me nuts. And I feel that a lot, first of all, this is invalidating to probably a lot of people who had inductions. There is, there are reasons for inductions and that are very necessary. And, you know, even to say like gestational diabetes isn't, you don't know that, you know, and I feel like a lot of the, the, and maybe it's my fault for following a lot of like the more, I don't know, it's more midwifery driven and more unmedicated birth driven and kind of that kind of lane that there is so much like more to talk about that. And I do feel like you were talking about, you talk about a lot. It's like failure language, yeah. you know? And if people didn't know, like weren't traumatized before, maybe they're going to feel traumatized now because you didn't explain that there is necessary reasons for, for inductions. I just, I just have to say it right off the bat because I feel it needs to be said. A necessary induction is the one that you find necessary. Right. And I'm going to say that a second time because so many fucking people need to hear this. A necessary induction is the one you find necessary. So even if you have a birther in quote unquote doesn't have a necessary induction because they're just over pregnancy. That's a necessary induction because they deemed it necessary. Whatever the reason is, and the birther consents to it and has been fully told the benefits, risks, alternatives, that it was necessary for whatever their biases and their own groupment spectrum and where they lie in. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just have to say that. Because I, I, again, that that's your reaction to it. And I think that's great because that's kind of the conversation that I want to have. Right. It's just like, I don't know. And, and it even says if there was genuine danger to you and your baby remaining pregnant. Um, so if there is, if there's, was genuine danger to you and your baby, um, why is induction the solution? Wouldn't you expect immediate surgery if there is such a grave risk as it alleged, as is alleged by the care provider? So I think it's fascinating that, okay, so this is the part where I I get impatient with, um, in particular, birth workers who have not worked with anyone who is not high risk or in a category of considered high risk and only dealt with white, 
young-ish low BMIs like birthers yeah in particular white um their reality is not reality it's not reality it's just not reality yeah and we've gamed the system as humans with how many babies survive yeah we've just like gamed it all all against her which is part of the reason why we have the some of the issues that we do but like as many births happen for humanity not so many people should survive it that's both birthers and babies yeah um and providers are doing their best to play those numbers and get positive results which we believe is life and everyone's surviving so yeah we're going to suggest things like inductions if we see that there's some sort of danger not to the point of death is on the doorstep because we don't want to get there we want to intervene gently and that has to be a fallacy to say of some sort to say like well, if it was really an emergency, they would send you straight away for a cesarean rather than like the reality, which is probably they feel or foresee something coming up and this is the way to mitigate it. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like they don't I think the, the other side of this too is does this individual count sweeps and castor oil and acupuncture also is induction Mm -hmm. because like let's call a spade a spade if you're trying to encourage labor that's that's an induction method yeah Yeah. it might not be as successful as you know cervidil or whatever (laughs) right but it's still a way to encourage labor and to alter the state of the body yeah so like and they probably don't. They probably don't see it in the same arena. Yeah. But again, we're trying. I think it's fascinating how those who sit in a naturalist state will be like, no, not really, though, because like we're not forcing the body to do anything. Excuse me. I think a membrane sweep is forcing the body <laughs> to do a thing. And that sits in the same place. Like, <sighs> Yeah. And. I have seen, you know, midwives encourage labor when it wasn't ready to be encouraged. And I've seen OBs encourage labor labor when it seemed like it didn't need to be encouraged. Like I've, right. I've seen both sides of that. And the, the reason why I picked this as one specifically is because there is a lot of conversation about intervent or inductions. Um, it comes up, it's come up with my own clients. I hear a lot of other doulas talk about it with their clients. It seems to be something that's happening a lot recently. I think it was the UK. It was yeah. a European country who suggests that, you know, all uh, black birthers are induced by 39 weeks, you know, to mitigate. Oh, their- Jesus. Uh, nice. And that's the nice reason- organization. Yeah. Uh, the the reason why I have an issue why I brought this up is because I do feel like induction is something we do need to talk about I do think it's something that more people need to educate themselves on it because so that they are making that informed choice and they are making that like you said the induction that they chose right right I do feel like there is like a line and something to talk about in that sense of like you know 
do you, was that induction something you wanted? Did you feel like that was what you needed after you had all the information? Right. For sure. And I think on the other side is, um, I wish induction wasn't demonized Mm -hmm. because of those people who have had necessary inductions. Yeah. And if it's ever brought up in those circles, in those spaces, the immediate reaction is it must have not been necessary. And that's why you hear that rhetoric out of me of it's necessary because I deemed it necessary Um, or they deemed it necessary, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, so I'm very quick with, with these. Um, and I went through a hellish induction. Uh, I am not like, hell yeah, induction, right? Like mine was four days and there was a ton of, ton of intervention with me and mine resulted in a fairly traumatic experience where I felt my cesarean. And I'm like very open about that. Yeah. At the same point, I will never tell an individual that if it is <laughs> where their providers telling them you need to be induced because mm-hmm. the NST came back funky and it's it's time make them afraid of it well and that's they, and that's what I feel like this does I feel like it makes people afraid of it yeah. and the stress and the fear of that has a large effect on people and, and that's where I where my frustration comes from is that we don't take into account the amount of harm stress does you know yeah. um and again is I feel that I want everybody to have the information to make the right choices for themselves um yeah. and it just doesn't feel like you get it from either side it doesn't feel like providers are are all the way always up front about you know the risks of it or if it's if they feel if it's really necessary or if it's a timing thing you know we all know about the you know babies aren't born on holidays I wonder why it must be right you know, you know that kind of stuff and so I guess that's where my frustration comes in from it is I don't feel like anybody's talking about it realistically I think the whole fallacy in this one that makes me upset is equating that it's about business. I think it's fascinating that again, going going through the whole like logic of it. Yeah. If inductions are for business, then does every midwife who does a sweep do it for their bottom dollar too? Or is it just OBs? Yeah. And I think they look at it only as OBs because that's where we talk about the cascade of interventions. And that's where we talk about like where everybody wants to talk about that's how we end up at a high C-section rate. Like that is where I see the logic go is that all of this, the high cesarean rate comes from the cascade of event intervention comes from the high rate of inductions. Like that Which is the logic are, that they're going through. I, I could talk about this until the cows go home. <laughs> a C-section does not mean it was a bad birth. Yeah. A cesarean does not mean a bad birth. It is not a birth that we need to avoid. Yeah. But that is, like you said, the naturalist kind of side of it, you know? Yeah. So it's just, yep. I'm glad you chose that one first. 
Well, and you know, I personally um, have feelings about inductions because I uh, I declined a deduct an in- induction, mm-hmm. um, and because for my own birth, and it's really funny because they were like, you know, I was at my appointment, and they were like, you know, tomorrow, uh, you're 39 weeks, and you know, we think you should induce because you're fat. <laughs> but um, oh they said high be my Christ, Alex. I'm so sorry. No, 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 it's okay. Oh. Um, because at that point, I had armed myself with knowledge, and that's where I feel like everybody needs the knowledge because then they get to make the right decision for them. Correct. I was able to decline it, and then I went into labor the next night. So, oh, that's so funny. Um, I've had, <laughs> I've had two clients who were being urged by, in particular, I'm calling out these two clients, uh, the very first um, VBAC client I ever had was highly encouraged, pressured, is the word I'll use, to be induced. Um, She hired me at 39 and a half weeks because of this pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, And she sustained that pressure until 41 weeks on the day where she went into labor on her own spontaneously had a baby within 12 hours of spontaneous labor coming in her OB. I have it recorded because I was doing virtual because it was of the time Yeah, said on camera, I guess you didn't need that induction after all. Yeah. Cause their reasoning being she had a short cervix. So we needed to induce, which is the oddest, like, framing around it because she's more likely to go into labor early why are we trying to induce a late labor let that kid bake more anyway but that was like i understand like those moments where you're like well fuck the system obviously they had it wrong and they were trying to pressure into this thing and all of that at the same point my client still requested nsts and like ultrasounds to make sure baby was good which would still be considered interventions yeah yeah right yeah in a way to help the provider feel at ease to not push the induction further yeah so i don't even know what would have happened if i had actually gone to 40 or 41 and i just i kind of knew that it was like a little bit of bs because i had i personally declined ultrasounds after 20 weeks that was a decision i made because everything was going well with my pregnancy and everything was very healthy with my pregnancy. And I knew that the later ultrasounds were going to be used against me because I had a high, there was a high chance of them being used against me because I had a high BMI and didn't have a big baby and da, 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 but they still tried to use it because when I declined the induction, she said, okay, well, because you're declining this induction, I have to let you know you have a high chance of shoulder dystocia and, you know, macronesia and like all of the, you know, list of stillbirth and all these things, even though my baby was healthy and they had not done an ultrasound <laughs> after 20 weeks. So how do you know my baby's big? Right. How do you know, right? My weight gain was on normal. My fundal height was normal. Like everything was following exactly what it was supposed to follow. So I was like, this and, Incredible. and whether or not that was the right decision, you know, it's, it was the right one for me. 
And it definitely made me feel like, okay, do you know what you're talking about? Because how can you tell me that I have the chance of that when you have no idea how big my baby is? Right. For sure. I agree with you. So I get where this is, I get where this distrust is built is, and that's the other part of it, you know, as I understand where the distrust of all of that stuff and the business side of it and all of that is where that comes from, you know, it's it's just for me, the, if we're going to call it a business move, then let's follow the logic all the way through. Is it not a business move on your side to, to try and sow distrust there? So someone hires a doula. That is pulled it all together <laughs> because sorry, we're still business owners. You're absolutely right. You are sorry, absolutely- but like, and I haven't been through med school. So yeah. like, there's kind of a like, fuck you, man. Like you have no <laughs> idea. Again, no sources cited. There's nothing here to like tie me back in to be like, all right, this is how I'm forming my, my argument. You're sowing distrust to help your business. Help your business. And oh, we couldn't have done it without you, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Which that actually leads into another one that I have um, that I couldn't do it without you. Let's see. All right. Reasons a doula is essential for birth. There are none. Oh, I, I, shit. It <laughs> um, goes on to be the reasons a doula is essential for hospital births. Um, so the first, the, for people who are listening, the first slide says reasons a doula is essential for birth and there's nothing below it. And then the second slide says reasons a doula is essential for hospital birth and below it, it says deep-seated systemic racism within the hospital, abuse, humiliation, and mistreatment of BIPOC and queer folks, the frantic urgency created in that environment, the rolling eyes when your birth plan is mentioned, half-truths, opinions, and flat-out lies from providers, threats of a dead baby from providers, perineums being torn like a piece of paper, um, and residents holding baby in until someone, it says X, someone appeared in the room. So this is very, um, the language is strong. Um, yep, it is. Strong is, a, it, strong is is the, I don't know if that's the right word. We need probably a stronger word for that. Um, the- uh, Abrasive. Ca- I'll use the word abrasive. Abrasive. I like that word. Um, so this person is talking about how so in the caption, it says, you are not essential to human physiological birth. That shit is actually designed to happen with nobody around. And you ain't about to change millions of years of evolution. The common, oh. chant, <laughs> the common chant I hear is I'm essential if my client says I'm essential. That's some real privileged shit right there. Furthermore, how many of y'all are having luck with that? How many of your clients are actually taking that stand at their hospital or during labor to say, and they mean to say that the doula is essential? Uh, Yeah. At the end of the day, most people still think it would be nice to have their doula and may even advocate it for it, but not essential. Um. So I thought this was a very interesting, I think abrasive is the right word, 
Um, and this person posts most things that I would say that fall into that category. Um, but I would love to know what you think about that. I mean, so I find it interesting because, um, as abrasive as it was, it actually hits one of my values, which is, I believe the place that doulas are needed most is hospital. Mm -hmm. I believe the place that they're needed least is at home. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it kind of falls in line with what this person is saying. Um, and they're, they're absolutely right by saying you're not essential because when push comes to serve, your client will not state that you're essential mm-hmm. because I have been there in the moments where it's like, Hey, we got to wheel you away. It's time for a cesarean. And although I'll ask in the moment, like, can I go in to take photos or like hold mom's hand while like, while dad's like getting set or like play a doula role in that moment to talk them through. Nope. And client says fucking nothing, nothing does not ask for me, does not advocate for me to be there, does not see me as essential in that moment. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's some who have, right. Who have advocated for it, but the majority do not. Yeah. Um, so I, I have to agree with this person, like as abrasive as it is. Um, but I go back to the original intention of doulas, which mm-hmm. are to serve. And uh, I, I'm going to say it, a lot of these doulas out here aren't concerned about serving our clients. What are they concerned about, Emmy? Uh, it's about fulfilling their own dreams and destinies, typically. It's about whether they're trying to heal their own trauma or put out their own narratives or whatever it may be. That's why you get beautiful photos of beautiful births. And we, and it's not spoken about the people who have to go home and heal. Yeah. And truly heal. Yeah. And Um, my baby. Yeah. And why you get cute photos of cute chicks holding cute babies and, and not being real about the call that happened at 2 a.m. because she's freaking out that there's blood and maybe it was my mucus plug and bloody yeah. show or should I go in and like the, the of it right like we're not talking about that's the part where you're essential mm-hmm. um well and that's where I feel that it brings up a good point about like the mistreat mistreatment and the systemic racism that are involved in the system and it really it feels like like I again I felt like the wording was abrasive but that's okay with me because I feel like I agree with it I agree that for physiological birth there's not much a doula can do and I think that the necessity of doulas has been created by the mistreatment in the medical system there's that i think the the thing that needs to be said to because it is brought up of bipoc individuals and those who who are queer or a part of the lgbt lgbtqia community 
are at a higher rate of some sort of trauma or assault happening to them and or even death. yeah assault or death just death mm-hmm. um the part that we need to talk about is those moments that I'm essential are the times I am most uncomfortable and I have to talk for my client so that way assault or something does not happen Mm -hmm. and that's a role that I get really uncomfortable with but is essential to this right where I have to yell at a nurse about not doing a cervical check without explaining why because you're about to stick your fingers in someone with a with a Cook's catheter. So you're going to run into something. And this person right here is a sexual assault survivor. Like what, why are you not using your words right now? I need you to like, yeah, come on, Linda. I know, you know, this stuff, right? Like (laughs) I've I've had a nurse ask and my client say no. And the nurse continue what they're doing. And I have to say, I've had to state like, she said, no multiple times with this nurse yeah yeah so they're they're right you're there hopefully to protect them from some undue harm or help them navigate it you know yeah the part though is those who need it most and that's the part that i really enjoy about this one um possibly don't have access to you yeah And that's how I feel about the, the entire field of work of doula work, you know, is if we really are essential and we are essential in those ways, then what are we doing? (laughs) Like, uh, how do you make your practices more equitable? How do you make your practices more accessible to the people who need them? And why is there such a large number of, which it's no hate to the doulas in this, in that realm, but why is there such a large number of doulas who only want to do home births or only want to do birth centers? And that's not not to say that that's a bad thing, but is there enough people wanting to work in the medical industrial complex? And is there enough people trying to help people who need it navigate those i'm going to tell a story and it's going to make my doula partner look bad but it's it's not to make her look bad we were having a discussion one day and she we had had a slew of really bad births and when i say really bad births i mean those ones that you go into your car and you scream cry after right um and she's like i just wish we had it easy like i just wish we had clients where we knew the providers and could just like waltz in and everything works out great. And like, I know everyone there and they know me and then I'm able to waltz back out. Um, I wish we had clients where babies just like shot out of them. I, I <laughs> wish we had those clients. And the thing I ended up telling her is the moment that happens for me, I need to get out. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm no longer a doula. I have become sucked into the, into the complex that I'm supposed to be fighting against, mm-hmm. or I'm servicing only those who did not truly need me. Yeah. So the moment we start doing that, both of us need to reevaluate. Need what to we're retire doing and, or do something different. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because if I've become so buddy, buddy with a provider that we're like bros or I got a nickname for them, like it, it's time for me to be out. Yeah. I don't think that paints your doula partner in a bad light. No. I think probably every doula can relate to like, I need a break from all of the terribleness. What's fascinating about it with her is before we even met, she was specializing in high risk. And I think Mm -hmm. that goes to show like how heavy the job can be for those who really need her. Like even in this case of like talking about privilege, like these are individuals going through high risk births Mm -hmm. and still have the ability to hire a doula right like even with all this extra medical crap going on with them they still have the funds to be able to hire but at the same point no one else would walk through it with them yeah and I think it's really easy on this side to get really tired to be the only person who can walk with those people yeah Um, especially if it relates to your own traumas or stories even in the slightest yeah because again going back a lot of doulas have birth before and that's how they end up in it mm-hmm. and like so. you said trying to heal that that trauma rather than like help the person in front of them yeah 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 so um i appreciate doula doula for this uh for this post yeah i'll link i'll make sure i link the um pages um or like the the Instagram posts. And I'm curious what you guys think. Like literally leave a comment down below on just this one. Because I'm fascinated to know what you yeah. guys think. Because, you know, the, these are our opinions and what we're speaking about. But you could be in a completely different mindset that the place that doulas are most necessary is home, is in, the, in those environments that birthers are still need you around or you're essential for the process and... Well, and I will say that I do agree that I do agree that like doulas are needed in home birth and birth centers situations Mm -hmm. because I do know and I do feel that for some people, especially people who are BIPOC or queer folks or things like that could be safer in those different environments. And I think a lot of people could be safer in those environments. And if keeping them out of the hospital is what is safer for them and what they want, and a doula can help with that and they can provide the emotional and the physical support to keep them out of the hospital, I think that's amazing. And I feel that I have done that with some of my birth center clients. So I don't want to say like, oh, it's not necessary. I just feel that there is a lot of hate towards people who end up in hospitals. Yeah. But there's so literally so many reasons that you can end up in hospital, even if you wanted a home birth, even if you wanted a birth center birth, that you end up in the hospital and to not talk like, talk about that. Like it's not a very real possibility for anybody, you know, to end up with something that makes them high risk or end up with a transfer to a hospital. If that was not their original plan that is where my, that's where like the frustration comes in. I hear you. I think um, the thing that should be noted here too, and it's probably the only part I disagree with is yes, evolutionarily birth has been happening since the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. However, there's 
always been a person that has guided or given wisdom throughout the process. Yeah. Um, even if the, the word was not doula. Yeah. Um, that's why usually I'll, I'll tell people when they're like, what's a doula of like, they're your village crazy lady. They're the lady who's been through it thousands of times yeah. to tell you that everything's normal, that this, this is what it is. Like mm-hmm. explain it to you explain carefully. It to you. So uh, there, that's the only piece I disagree with is like, yeah, um, probably not necessary, but it's just as baked in. Yeah because we're community animals so it's just as baked in and you can see it even in monkeys and stuff of a a close familiar to them Mm -hmm. being there by their side as they birth which is so cute I didn't know that yeah so there's 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 a bit of like (laughs) that always in in animals right well yeah and that historically there has always been someone there and it's um so I, I don't, I, I definitely feel like, I do feel that doulas are essential for whatever reason you decide that they're essential and that you Right, going back that. to the first one, uh, yeah. I deemed it so, so yeah. thus it is. Right? Uh, but I do think it's an interesting conversation to have, you know, about right. what our role is in like the medical industrial complex, which. And I'm sure this came on the heels like of how many doulas were were put into the role of visitor during COVID times. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what the person is referencing in that post. Right. Yeah. All right. Next one. And this is one I did a little bit of extra research. Ooh. Okay. We'll let you do your research like tidbits and then I'll, I'll do my full reaction. So that way I have full context. Yes. Okay. Not to cut that out because that was so <laughs> All right. This says if you don't like drinking flame retardants, you might not want to drink glucola to test for gestational diabetes. There is all, there are plenty of alternatives, and you can also decline. <laughs> um, I looked Ooh. up where. Um, what they were referring to with the flame retardant, um, they were uh, referring to brominated vegetable oil. Um, uh-huh. And it is banned in the UK and Japan. Um, and then they talk about food dyes, which I think people know some uh, something about, and then dextrose, which is sugar. Um, but so brominated vegetable oil is, this is what Google says, a complex mixture of plant derived triglycerides that have been reacted to contain atoms of the element bromine. I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. used primarily to help emulsify citrus flavored soft drinks, preventing them from separating in uh, distribution. Some of the health concerns that um, stem from uh, brominated vegetable oil is from bromine because it can irritate your skin and mucous membranes. Long-term exposure can cause neurological symptoms such as headaches, uh, memory loss, impaired balance, and coordination. And so that that is true. I didn't find anything about it being a flame retardant. Did I, I looked, I didn't see it, but maybe I missed it. But um, the- I mean, if you, if you 
throw a fire on it, it might be hard to catch it. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll read a little bit of the caption. Um, a smoothie, orange juice, and a banana, jelly beans. These are a few real good food options when having a one-hour glucose challenge. You don't have to drink the orange glucola drink, which contains BVO, which we just talked about, food dyes, and dextrose. Um, glucola is commonly used because it is shelf-stable and standardized, which makes it easier for your doctor in the lab. Okay. Um. So what do you think about that? Okay. So um, do I start with the personal story or do I start with some of my, my understanding of language and how we use it? Let's go personal story first. Okay. My first pregnancy, I took glucola. Um, I showed up. My appointment was at 11 a.m. They told you not to eat, right? Yeah. And it was a little bit late, but that was the earliest they could get me in. So I was, it was whatever. I have a history of fainting. I have uh, like the one for low blood sugar yeah. affecting me, whatever. Hypo? Uh, hypo? Yeah, yeah. So. so I have hypo, uh, glycemia at times. Uh, so it's important for me to eat and keep on top of that. Also people who get hangry in quotation marks suffer from the same condition. That's yeah. that's what's going on. Um, so my mom took me to that appointment and she was really upset that they told me not to eat because it had been so many years since she had done her own test that she didn't realize that was a requirement. Um, and when I took it, um, I passed out and I threw up. No. Um, and so I had to take it again in the same sitting while I was there. And then they did my blood test. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially the doctor right afterwards was like more than likely you're going to pass because usually people don't have that kind of reaction unless their sugars are in a good place and goes into this whole thing um and i was really upset because i was like this was awful why why was i even being tested for gestational diabetes like no one in my family's has ever had a history of it diabetes like regular diabetes doesn't run in the family and like it took me until I became a doula to understand that gestational diabetes and diabetes aren't actually connected like I thought I thought they were connected same name so obviously they must be connected they're not even connected like right so like it, it was one of these that I was like why was I even tested am I really at risk and it was just like a miserable experience and I remember I went to like lunch with my husband at his office like right after and I ate so much food because like I just needed something in my body Mm -hmm. um and so with my second I was at a midwife care and they when we had the discussion I was like do I even need to take a test like last time I took it it was kind of traumatizing yeah uh can I just like not take it and they were like I mean you could like it's all within your right to not take it but did you take glucola last time and I was like I don't even know it was orange in a bottle and they were like yeah that was that was glucola what happened when you took it I was like I passed out and threw up and they're like yeah yeah that happens like and the fact that they were like so chill and they were reacting as if they had seen it before and it was normal I was like that's a problem 
yeah that, i i wasn't like telling them something where they were like whoa they were like yeah that sometimes happens like Ooh. like okay side note i feel like that's how all midwives are like, <laughs> i i think that's pretty normal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very true I feel like that's so, a very midwife thing to say, but <laughs> totally true. Um, I ended up being presented with a couple of different options. I went with jelly beans. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, never had gestational diabetes with any of my pregnancies, but that's my relationship with glucoa. So anytime I see people being like, what, what was your guys' experience with glucola or like people being like gestational diabetes test on like some mom or I'm like, don't take it. Don't, 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 don't do it. No. Like, so, um, gotta agree with these people like to a low key level because like it severely messed me up on the other side. Don't love how they're putting out that warning with relating it. Like, without an actual source again my thing is sources of like flame retardant or like explaining all the way through what's going on there and it's obviously a scare tactic and with with what I found it literally was just like if it's used in high amounts if you are pregnant you drink it once maybe (sighs) twice you know it's I doubt you're getting it in high enough volumes and if it's in, if it's something that's in that people consume in citrus flavored um, soft drinks, like then it's, that's probably where they're more likely to come into contact, yeah. you know, is kind of yeah. my thought on it. And I just, I really get frustrated by the scare tactic stuff, especially when it's not, like you said, you don't have a source. Right. So you don't have a source. In my opinion, and I think you and I are on the same page with this one, I think just as effective and also puts the same point across, hey, did you know you could take jelly beans or a smoothie and a banana or this to test for gestational diabetes or could refuse a gestational diabetes test? Click here to find out more, right? Like here's more information about it. Yes. And and that's where I feel like so much of, again, there's bitches hate nuance. <laughs> I'm telling you, but as soon as I heard that, I was like, that's true. They hate it. They hate having the, the more in-depth conversations. And you're right. You could say, hey, instead of drinking this nasty drink, you can eat some jelly beans. Okay. Jelly beans taste better than glucola. So cool. I'm here for it. You know, it's like, I don't By know. the way, glucola doesn't even taste that bad. I just want to throw it out there. It doesn't even I taste that bad. I thought it was disgusting. I thought it, it tastes like so... ovary, sugary, orange soda that's flat. Yeah. Like, I don't, it's not like I'm going out there to try and buy a six pack of it, but yeah. like for a one-time experience, it's not awful. I was going to make a joke that if we get a hundred subscribers on Twitch, I will get bitches hate nuance on my body somewhere, but... <laughs> because i love it (laughs) so much um and a hundred people uh that can be our ring of fire tattoos we can get (laughs) nice nice (laughs) and i have to show you guys the original podcast i heard that on is called binchtopia it's my favorite podcast ever but um, (laughs) it's so true people hate nuance and 
they hate having these better these conversations and I do think it's a good thing to tell people that there are alternatives and I think it's a good thing to tell people that because sometimes doctors will tell you that there's not or they will tell you that there's no other options when there absolutely is and even for if we're talking about gestational diabetes which is one of my special interests because it's something that's put on a lot of BMI uh, people with higher BMIs which um, is not related at all Um, yeah not at all PSA little PSA at all and typically they will test you early for gestational diabetes but they're actually testing you for underlining underlying diabetes like yeah testing you for to see if you already have it because that is quite a bit dangerous for babies it it is if you have uncontrolled yes diabetes and I think that should be put in there like very clearly you can have diabetes and pregnant but if it is uncontrolled or un uh not known we'll put it that way for the person who's unaware and maybe has controlled it by by accident just been like stumbling through it (laughs) Um, but yeah uh it, it is interesting how gestational diabetes isn't related to diabetes it's it's not related to your BMI. It's not related to family history. It's yeah. And, and I believe it's like 20 or 22 weeks is typically when they test for that around that time, because they really can't tell if you have it before then. So typically early testing is for, to see if you have underlying diabetes. And like you said, if it's uncontrolled is when it could be an issue. But again, it's like, it's assuming that people with high BMIs are going to be in that situation. Right. Yeah. It's a little, a little off, off, uh, off topic, but, and I will say that I've been tested for diabetes like a hundred times, like then people have probably never been tested at this point. I'm 28 and I've been tested a hundred times, um, but, yeah. uh, it's, there are other options. There are jelly beans. There is, you also can, um, like test yourself multiple times a day for a certain period of time and use that as like your test for it. Um, um, I would argue is, I don't know the science on it. I will, I will say that I don't know the statistics on it, but it does seem like that would give them a better idea of what your levels are, what your levels are, because it's like food that you would actually eat. You're not, you're probably not drinking, you know, uh, flat, overly sugary orange soda on a right. stomach, you know, first thing in the morning, some people do, you know, it's your business, <laughs> whatever you do, but it, it gives them an, an idea of how you actually eat and how your body is reacting to that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting too, because like, uh, kind of going off of this, a lot of people, cause I'm Latin, I I'm Mexican. Uh, tend to be pre-diabetic due to the diet here in the U.S. not being favored with your system. So yeah, that's another side of it. Like, and I constantly come up as pre-diabetic and it doesn't matter how much weight I lose or put on, like I'm always in this zone and it's because truly like my diet should be corn tortillas, (laughs) rice and beans. Your body's like, please feed me the food of our ancestors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I need to eat from the earth. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, 
I think the I'm, other side I'm, of I'm, I'm not saying that that it's it's not an issue, but I am. Oh no no no. Um, the For sure, I have is the. Um, focus on people with high BMIs. Oh, for sure. Because literally anybody can have diabetes because it has to go do with things beyond your control and a lot of your diet. And so it's like, and that's always been my frustration as a plus size person is like, oh my God, like I get it. I understand. I know what the symptoms of diabetes are. Good Lord. But a thin person probably has no idea. And they that, could be that was the part those things and could be, and, and I always make the joke that like, they really want, um, then people to be unhealthy or like have health problems because they won't like teach them about exercise or whatever, you know, like, like that kind of stuff. But I've heard it like my entire life. And then right. like my thin sister has never been told like how you should eat or how you should exercise. <laughs> And I'm not saying that the doctors were giving me good advice, but they (laughs) were like just hammering that into my brain. Um. (laughs) Right. What I was going to say is like, so I've always ran pre pre diabetic always Um, during my pregnancy. It was not brought up once ever, never brought up because I would assume if you're pregnant, that's probably putting more strain on your system. Um, So we should probably be watching for that, but never never brought up. Um, and then the other side is I've had quite a few clients who are thin, end up with, uh, gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. And the main reason they get induced is because they can't figure out how to eat correctly. Yeah. And they can't figure out how to control their levels or like how any of that works. And it's essentially asking them for the first time in their lives to keep track of what's going on with their body. Yeah. Um, and they're the ones who fall off the wagon at about 39 weeks. Essentially, they just get tired and they get over it and they ask for the induction. Yeah. Because they don't want to think about it anymore. Yeah. It's just too much work for them. So I think this is fascinating because, <laughs> yeah, of all the things that go into uh, gestational diabetes and the misinformation with it and also like how difficult it can be for people of many degrees of yeah. like dealing with it and what it entails and like philosophies that they're encountering cu- culturally because there's plenty of like cultures out there that are like no she needs to eat whatever comes to mind uh mm-hmm. again mexican we believe that you feed a pregnant woman whatever they request because that is essentially the baby asking for it. And if yeah. you don't give it to them, they'll end up allergic to it, right? Mm-hmm. Old wives tale. Yeah. But if she has for a donut, you bring her a motherfucking donut. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Because for whatever reason, the body craves that. So mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. A little off topic, but a great topic because <laughs> the sexual diabetes, like I said, I, I'm fascinated by it. And because it is something that like so many plus size people are like told like you have to like this is something you should be concerned about and there's something you can do about it and it's probably definitely gonna happen to you and you have a higher rate of it and you yeah know. and then there's the whole like issue of what does 
monitoring, even if you are diagnosed with it, is the monitoring like actually helping anybody? Is it doing anything? Is it making a difference? Um, I li- there's a really good podcast episode of uh, Midwife's Cauldron where they do. Oh, uh, I fucking love for just like t- two minutes. Can we talk about Midwife's Cauldron? I've been listening to them since their first episode aired. Like, um, I found them randomly and then was like enamored and tried to share them with all of my friends. Yeah. I adore them. I stand them. Like I like stock <laughs> everything about them. Uh, but they have a great, sorry. They just have a fantastic episode, not only on gestational diabetes, but one of my favorite pieces of information ever on the golden hour mm-hmm. and how it's actually three hours long which is so affirming for my clients who have cesareans yeah, because they think they miss out on it. Oh, yeah. That's and awesome. it, tur- it turned out it's three hours long. No, nope, yeah. can't miss out on it. Like yeah, you got to be in there for hours. a long ass time yeah. for you to miss it. So like, anyway. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah. So they have an episode about um, gestational diabetes from the birther's perspective and then gestational diabetes from the baby's perspective. It's a very good, a very good, like pair of episodes that really like it shined a light on a lot of stuff that I had never heard before, even though I had like tried to do research on this. Um, so good episode, go li- listen to it and I'll link it in our show notes too. Yeah. Um, all right. Final. This one's a little funny. I think this one's pretty funny. Okay. Um, so I'll share it with you and then I'll share what I saw someone post this and I'll share with you what I replied to this. Okay. You actually replied to it. Well, not to this person, but whoever shared it. With oh, got me. it. The, it says quit Googling, hire a doula. Um, and then the caption says doulas connect you to resources, information, referrals, and community. One of the amazing benefits is to skip the vast and overwhelming world of the internet and everything out there. If you're curious about hiring a doula, you know, click our bio. Um, I think this is funny. And so my response was, I said, not me in the corner of the hospital room, Googling, <laughs> like not me on Google, like in the corner. <laughs> right. Of the first being like, what does, so mean. <laughs> and I just thought it was funny because I get the point of it. It's a it's a cute little post, like this right. Google because Google is a dangerous place to be, especially if you're pregnant. Um, but I was just like, that's me. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> like, what is the difference? Quit Googling, hire a doula who will Google for you. That's what you've responded. And I know we've talked about this on the past episode where I was like, sometimes people like my clients will, will send me a question and I have to Google it just to make sure. Like, I know the answer, but I want to fact check myself, you know, especially yeah. like postpartum questions because postpartum is not my area of expertise. So I'm like, uh... the worst is when they ask me about a pediatrician. I'm like, fool, I don't know. I got mine. Like, do you want mine? I'll give you the information of mine. I I don't know. And then, and I remember when I was first getting my certification, they make you make a resource list. And oh my God, at this point, I've made a billion resource lists, just saying. 
uh, <laughs> because my childbirth educator class required like 10 different types of resource wow. lists. It was like a lot, but uh, my resource list at this point is like seared into my brain. And it's continuing. I know. And I'm so envious of it. Cause I see you just be like, blah, blah, blah here and blah, blah, blah there. And blah, 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 and, blah, blah. and I'm like, how do you keep all these people straight? Like I, I, and I'm so bad about that. So everything has to be written, <laughs> written down. Um, but, uh, when I was making those resource lists, I was Googling it. I didn't know, especially at that point, I didn't know who the pediatricians were. I didn't know who did postpartum like groups. Anything? No, I didn't know any of it. And yeah. so I was like, it made me feel very like insecure about it because I was like, I'm not going to give this resource list to anybody. I literally just Googled everybody. Right. You know? And now it's getting to a point where I'm knowing a little bit more and I'm finding people on my own and actually adding people that I I know and that I've met to my resource list. But it is like, you're, and I feel like I'm telling people that these resources are like a, a benefit of like being my client and I Googled all of them. I think it's really funny um on I I would add more to it I would state that um you need to hire stop googling hire a doula but hire one who maybe has a special interest in the type of birth that you're going for yeah honestly I'm advocating for you to hire a doula who's neurodiverse um (laughs) hire the autistic or the ADHD or like the highly anxious doula um because more than likely they've delved into so much time just researching and understanding the type of birth that you're trying to achieve or like the obstacles that you're trying to jump over um it's literally why my company exists is because it became (laughs) a special interest and then like I couldn't stop and here we are three years later very like vindicated when I created my childbirth curriculum because like 90% of it came right out of my brain and I was able to like sit down lay it out type it out and like I had to like research I you know all the research came together into kind of one place and I was like oh I I know what I'm doing and it does it it made me feel like I'm not just googling this shit like the stuff that I was googling was like pediatricians in the area because I have one child he needs one pediatrician like (laughs) I don't know where 10 of them are and uh I'm also not the person to like shop around. So like I picked one pediatrician and I went to them and I didn't like them. And then I picked a second one and I like her a lot. And that's it. Done. Like, Done. I don't yeah. shop around. I don't do that. I go to the place that feels the best and that's it. And, um, but so it's like, it, it's, I definitely had more information than I thought and I didn't have more expertise than I thought. And I just didn't realize it till I was able to put it into one little package, you know, that all the books you've read and all the research you've done and all the conversations you've seen and all the clients that you've been with, like all of that stuff has taught you stuff. So it's, you know, funny to make a joke about it or, you know, to use Google as like, to kind of like double check yourself, things like that. But I, you know, I had to be funny. I think it's interesting that slightly uh, you're going into a 
what would be a fascinating episode on its own of imposter syndrome and yeah. and birth work um or just like life um uh, because <laughs> and, yeah I relate to what you're talking about. I developed three separate classes and I'm about to develop another one. And I avoid trying to make the class for at least a week and a half until someone yells at me and is like, you should pick the class. And then I'm like, I don't know if I know enough. And then I hyper-focus on it and I bang it out. And you obviously like, know what you're doing. Yeah. I, I, I know what I'm talking about and everything that I'm doing. And like, I have sources and resources and like, all of that behind it so it's not me just like places to look you're not literally like on google or using it no i i'm not pulling it out of my ass right like so i do think that's interesting that it is so easy and i think it's easy for a couple of reasons one doulas again more than likely came from a place of going through their own birth Mm -hmm. of somehow being traumatized in it or having a magical one and now are doing the work. Yeah. So they're coming from a place of only experience in their own and now trying to help others. Mm-hmm. The other part is they're interacting more than likely with highly educated people. Yeah. And Doctors, you're more than likely like that, not that highly educated person in the yeah. room. And in a way you're being asked to challenge these highly educated individuals. Yeah. And that was so scary um, when I was a birther to do that and I sucked at it and I will definitely hire a doula for like every major appointment the next time I have a kid yeah um, it as a doula it feels different and it feels easier and it feels like like I I expected to have more imposter syndrome especially when I was kind of waiting for that first client um yeah but now I feel like it's like oh I, I kind of got this and even, and I was, and I'm excited for, you know, talking about the like true scope of a doula because I have some, you know, some opinions on that, that kind of go into this and I, I won't kind of spoil that, but I think that understanding the type of doula you want and the scope that you want to be and the scope that you want to have is really important in mitigating that. Oh, for sure. Uh, imposter syndrome because you don't oh, need to know sure. everything the doctor knows. That is not your job. If yes. You, if you want that to be your job, go to med school and become a doctor. Like if right. go to midwifery school and become a midwife if that's who you want to be in the room. Right. Um, for sure. Um, but yeah, I I do find that one very enjoyable that you end up showing us. Um, because I think anyone in any profession can relate to that. Yeah. Of like. Oh, you thought I was the smart person in the room. Uh, give me just a sec. I'm going to Google that. Like, I'll take a bathroom break and I'll come back with some information for you. You know, I just thought of it all on my own. <laughs> well, I'm like at home, like Googling, like, is breast milk supposed to be blue? Like, I don't know. And then confidently texting my postpartum client. Bye. <laughs> don't spoil it in the comments uh, <laughs> um yeah I, I we've all had that moment of being asked a question I had one uh earlier this week which was they 
they sent me pic like video and they were rubbing this like rubbing on baby's hands to see if baby would like hold or grip them mm -hmm. and baby did slightly but not like strong right and so this family was upset because they thought maybe something was wrong with baby and they were asking me and my favorite answer is like you know um I'm going to validate you and how much worry you have. This must be scary because I'm sure this is new for you. Yeah. Um, this is really not my place. So yeah. I found really fast a video showing like what the reflex should look like. It looks like baby's doing that. But if this doesn't like help your worries, I would immediately book an appointment just so you have your pediatrician. Yeah. And yeah. like, okay. And, and that's like a great way, a great way to say like, not my skill. <laughs> and I, and, and I do find that I have found that hard with some of my postpartum clients because I'm like, that is not my expertise. I cannot help you with that. I'm sorry, but like, here's some whatever. And they're like, okay, it's fine. Never mind. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean like I'm brushing you off. It means like, I yeah. can't tell you. <laughs> I can't like, you know, this seems like a, a problem, like whether it's for breastfeeding or it's like a pediatrician issue, like that somebody with more expertise should do that. For sure. Like look at that. Uh, which is our perfect moment to be able to shout out those postpartum doulas who <laughs> get clients after we hand them off and like, I don't know, here. Like <laughs> please, please talk to them because I don't know. <laughs> I, she asked about, I, uh, <laughs> I hate it when they ask me about hemorrhoids. I'm like, I don't know. Go, uh. That seems like a doctor question. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that they're normal and they happen often and they suck. That's kind of all I know. I know there's like a piece in the aisle of CVS that's dedicated to it. So it's got to be an issue. Yeah. Like... Like, <laughs> all right. I think hemorrhoids is a great place to end. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I'm Alex Barr. I'm Emmy, aka the Birth Wizard. And you can hear us most nights or most Friday nights on Twitch at seven, or on Tuesdays on YouTube and all the other platforms. But if you're listening to us right now, it's probably because one of us is busy or sick or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So see you next time.